Uh, yes, I do bring you greetings from Crown College, and Crown College is one of your colleges. You have four of them in the United States. I don't know if you know that, but uh, we are all part of the same uh, organizing body, uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance, of which Gateway Church is a member, and Crown College is one of your colleges. We have about 1,500 students this year. 300 of those are high school students who take, mo most of those are online with us, taking PSEO. Any of you taking PSEO right now? Woohoo! Anybody else? Oh, good. You have some happy parents, I can tell you that, because the state of Minnesota will pay for your college. As long as you do PSEO classes, you can take those at Crown College Online. We have about 40 that come to campus and do that as well. We have about 700 students online. Any of you taking online classes at Crown? Really? You can do that. You can take, uh, I think we have about 18 majors. We have... Uh, a Master of Arts in Counseling, if any of you want to go that direction, we have about 150 students in that. And uh, it's our most popular program of any programs that we have across the whole campus. And then we have about 500 students that are on campus. Uh, and uh, they live, 80% of them live and uh, eat on campus. And uh, so many of you who came to Crown at some point during your past, uh, you probably associate Crown with the on-campus part, but it's really only about a third of the number of people that we actually reach uh, with educational products and services. Uh, we uh, have on campus, our most popular majors are nursing and uh, church-related ministries and global ministries. Uh, exercise science is a very popular program today. Business, teacher education, a number of other courses in the humanities as well. Uh, I think we have about 45 different emphases or programs that you can take uh, on campus. If you're interested in the law, we have a pre-law program. If you're interested in medicine, you can study for your um, MCAT and go into pre-med. So it's a really interesting place to be. And we're just so grateful. Uh, Kathy and I went there about six years ago, and uh, we just love it. Uh, Friday night, we went down to the Mall of America, and about 15 faculty and staff, including Kathy and I, uh, tried to hide from about 65 students who tried to find us at the Mall of America. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and actually, Kathy and I got the award for the best disguised people in the Mall of America that night. Last night, uh, our team uh, finished fourth in the basketball conference in which we play, so we'll have our Playoff game tomorrow night at Crown, 7 o'clock. If you want to make the trek over, we'll be playing U of M Morris and uh, hopefully beating them and moving on in the, the playoffs. We have 18 different sports at Crown, nine in women's, nine in men's, and we are Division III NCAA. So if you, any of you are athletes and thinking of going to college, look out, uh, check out Crown. We'd love to have you come there. But more than anything, we'll come and uh, we'll be in the back afterwards at the table. You can talk with us. But here, look at this video, which gives you an overview of the campus and, and who we are and what we do. Just does it much better than I can say.
I forgot to mention, but Crown has, camp, uh, has sites in Omaha, Nebraska, Atlanta, Georgia. How about Kauai, Hawaii? We're moving there. All of us. No, some of us. Some people will be in Kauai. So we're expanding out uh, and taking education to people as well as just expecting people to come to us. It's a great place. I, uh, I hope that uh, you'll learn more. Go to crown.edu and uh, check us out. Uh, pause with me in prayer, if you would, as I try to lead us into uh, what God might have for us this morning. Thank you, Father, that you are already here. Thank you for the wonderful songs that we've sung and the spirit of, of yourself who is here in our midst this morning. Uh, I realize that I am a pretty unworthy person to be sharing what I'm going to be talking about today, but would you show up, and if you do, uh, we'll be happy and pleased and grateful in Jesus' name, amen. There's uh, much talk about faith today. I guess I have the clicker, don't I? So I better get this out <laughs> so I can click the slides forward. Uh, power. Okay, let's do this. Uh, oh, man. Is this going to move it? I don't think I've got the power on. All right. What did I do? It can't be that hard. I'm really not this stupid. But you know, the more education you get, the dumber you really become. So here we go. On is on this side. Okay, there we go. All right. There we go. Okay. We talk, we talk about good faith and bad faith. A lot of negotiation. Anybody here like does arbitration or negotiation? You know, there's good faith negotiation, bad faith negotiations, right? We, um, we talk about crises of faith or tests of faith in our life or people who are take leaps of faith. By the way, you might want to take out your notes and follow along. I've already filled in a few blanks for you. The underlined words up on the screen will help you fill in the, the blanks on your notes as we go through uh, today. Um, we often talk about, you know, the keeping the faith or sometimes losing the faith, right? Uh, I have a friend who always signs his emails to me, keep the faith. And uh, so that's, that's kind of how we talk today some. We, we look back on uh, the, the faith of our fathers. Some of us have grown up in generations of homes that have followed Jesus Christ. We talk about faith of our fathers. But we also talk about our own journeys of faith as we would move forward and create uh, new exploits of faith in our lives. The Bible talks a lot about faith, too. Um, we walk by faith and not by sight, right? All things are possible to those who believe. Faith can move mountains. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith without works is dead. So there's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of reference to faith in the scriptures, right? And this morning I want us to Think about what faith is, how we recognize it, what does it look like, how does it come? You know, there's a whole Bible in, the chap in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews that we call the Hall of Fame chapter of faith. It describes people in the Old Testament who had great faith. Sixteen people are mentioned in this chapter, 
But there's some people in there that you thought might be mentioned but aren't, like Daniel isn't mentioned in there, and Solomon isn't mentioned in there, and Hannah isn't mentioned in there, and Joshua's not mentioned in there, and Caleb isn't mentioned in there, and Ruth isn't mentioned in there. And so the people that are, you think, are probably pretty important people. And I want us today to look at one of those persons in Hebrews chapter 11. I think the most striking example or person of faith in all of the Bible. Her story, her story, there are two people in Hebrews 11 that are women. women. Sarah is one. The other person is Rahab. Every time she's mentioned in Scripture, pretty much, she's mentioned as Rahab the prostitute. By faith, Hebrews 11:31 says, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I want us to take a look at her life today. It's in Joshua chapter 2. If you have your phone with you or a, a tablet or if you still carry a Bible with you, you might turn there to that uh, passage. We'll bed down there mostly today in that chapter. Uh, I want us to look at faith that pleases God because without faith it's impossible to please God is kind of the overarching verse of Hebrews 11, so he talks about all this faith that does please God. So let's look at what that looks like today. Through the life of this person whose life was changed by God. The year is 1405 B.C., long time ago. Okay, and sometimes you think maybe the Bible's irrelevant or doesn't really tell stories that we can make anything out of today, but I, I think this one will get your attention. Moses had just died. Joshua has amassed the people of God on the east side of the Jordan River, about five miles to the east. Five miles on the west side of the Jordan River is the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a walled city. Actually, there were two walls. The highest of those walls was 46 feet high. It was a city that encompassed nine acres and just a few thousand people. It was one of the oldest cities in the world. It was 800 feet below sea level. It was about 20 miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was 2,500 feet above sea level. So when they talked about going up to Jerusalem, that was, that was a geographical and topographical move. It was called the City of Palms. It was a beautiful little city about five miles uh, west of the Jordan River. Joshua, we're told in verse 1 of Joshua 2, sent a couple of spies into the land secretly um, to kind of case it out and see what was going on and to find out what the nature of the people were, what they'd heard, what they knew uh, about Israel on the other side of the Jordan. He obviously doesn't want anybody to know about these slides. Remember, Joshua was one of 12 who went into the uh, land about 40 years previous. Jericho is in um, code red. Everybody is on alert. They know that the people of God on the other side of the river are going to attack. They don't know exactly when or how it's going to come. And so they are on alert, heightened alert. Full readiness. The two spies or scouts that Joshua sent into the land end up visiting a prostitute. Not for why most men visit prostitutes. (laughs) At least there's no indication of that in the text. So why do they go there? I have some ideas about it. The text really never tells us. But I think Rahab 
would know most of what's happening in the city at that time. She certainly knew most of the leaders of that city. She would have heard most of the latest news. She would have been kind of the one who uh, was the social media uh, person of her day, right? Because she was the one who, who grappled with most of the people who would have come through the city. Probably could keep a secret pretty well. And it might have been a place that a lot of visiting men would have attended or gone to, so it might have been good cover uh, to go there and arouse less suspicion of them being in the city than other places they might have stayed or gone. I think there's something else which we're going to look at a little bit later today also, that this was God's plan for Rahab as much as it was for God's plan for the spies to find out what was going on in the land. But quickly word got out that two Israelite scouts had visited Rahab's place. And the mayor sends his uh, police force uh, to her place to check out the story. They come to her house, which was on the north side of the wall of Jericho, and they interrogate her. And she admits to them that the spies indeed had come, and they had visited her place. But she tells them that she had sent them on their way in a different direction. The police probably after some inspection of her place, decide that she's telling the truth or they believe her and they leave. The spies really were at her place, as you recall. They were up on the roof underneath some flax um, branches that she had put over the top of them to hide them. And later that night when it was dark, undercover, she let them down from her window, which was on the wall of the building, down to the uh, ground and they escaped. This is the story, essentially, of Joshua chapter 2. From this story, which makes its way into Hebrews chapter 11's faith chapter, I think we can glean at least four lessons of what faith that pleases God looks like. So let's look at those together this morning. The first one is that faith that pleases God responds to the grace of God. God's love always precedes our faith. Let me say that again. God's love always precedes our faith. You cannot believe it with a faith that pleases God, that doesn't arise from the soil of God's love. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, this is in the message version, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. I like to read in other versions because sometimes you get the idea in words that aren't as familiar as the words we know uh, familiar verses being in. It isn't our idea to believe. It is God's idea. It's his grace and his love which precede our faith. But God does give us some reference points for faith, and he did with uh, Rahab. He gave her two reference points. He gave her two reference points, as he did to all the people, actually, in Jericho. He gave them a reference point of something he had done a long time ago. In chapter uh, 2, verse 10, it says this, 
uh, Rahab says this, we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. Now, he made a dry path through, for the people of God 40 years ago. I don't know how old Rahab is. She has children after this time, so, uh, and she's still alive when the book of Joshua is written. So, I don't know. She may be pretty young at this point. She might be underneath 40 years of age. She might be just above. I don't know. Uh, people lived a little bit longer in those days, but not that much longer than we do. She might not even have been alive when the people of God walked through the dry ground in the Red Sea. But she had heard about it. It had preceded uh, what was going on in that time. And they had heard how God had done something 40 years ago. The verse goes on, though, and quotes her, saying, And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. That had happened four months ago. God had given Rahab two reference points, something that he did a long time ago and something that the people of God had just done. And the people in Jericho's hearts were melting with fear, we are told in verse 9 or early verse 10. But Rahab's heart and mind was inclined to this God who had done these things. She connected the dots. And in verse 11 of the chapter 2, it says, she says, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. She had come to the conclusion that this God was the true God, and the gods of her people were not the true gods. She was not a theologian. She had not attended Crown College. She had not taken any Bible courses. She didn't even have the law of Moses. But God had given her some reference points, and God had reached into her life and aroused faith in her Look what Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 15 says. This is from the New Living Translation. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him and to save them unless they believe? And how can they believe if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Somehow, as we'll look at in a minute, Rahab had heard about this God of the heavens above and the earth below. Look how God had specifically reached out to Rahab. How did she hear? She didn't hear from the spies because she'd already known about this before the spies came to her house, and she had already come to the conclusion that this God of the Israelite people was the God of heaven and earth. How did she hear? Presumably, she heard from some other ites that were in the land. God was making his presence and his message known to her through people who did not even believe in him. These were people who traveled about and had heard the stories, and somehow she had heard those stories of what God had done and what the people of God had done from people who didn't even believe in the God who had done those things. You know God can do that. God can reach people without you and me. 
Now, that's not an excuse for us not to do something, but do you know God, in his love and his grace, reached down to Rahab and touched her before the people of God had ever come into connection with her? God does that kind of a thing out of his love. Why did the spies go to Rahab's place? I gave you some reasons before, but here's one good reason why they went, because God was already preparing the heart of Rahab to believe in him, and when the spies showed up, God was basically saying to her, I have come, and I am going to save you. I'm going to rescue you and your family. Think of the love of God from Rahab's perspective, not just from the spies. God sent her two people from God's people to show up at her place. She was a woman. She was a Canaanite. She was a prostitute. And her people were under the doom and judgment of God. And God sent two people to her to provide rescue, to save her. And it was this powerful love of God that she put her trust in. She didn't deserve anything any better than any of the other people around her whose hearts were melting in fear, who heard the same story. But God reached down to her, and she reached out to him, and her life was spared. Faith is born from God's grace and God's love. And that's how it happened for you, that's how it happened for me, and that's how it happens for everybody else in this world. But that is not the only lesson of faith that we learn in this passage. Faith that pleases God also results in actions that support God. I had a hard time support God, like God needs our support or something, or actions on behalf of God, or actions that you know, are aligned with God, whatever, but you know what I'm trying to say. Genuine faith chooses and acts. It's not enough simply to just believe uh, like, uh, you know, like some concept. It's that you know, we do something about it. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, that verse after 2, 8 and 9 that we read earlier, says that we are God's masterpiece. The word is poem. We are God's poem. He's working a life of poetry through our lives, right? And he has created us new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. What is it that, that um, Rahab did? She acted on her faith. James tells us that Rahab the prostitute is another example of faith doing works. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without works. What Rahab did was pretty interesting. I don't have time to go into the ethical issue of lying, but she lied. She hid the spies. She protected the spies. She lied on behalf of the spies. She covered up the fact that they were there. And then she sent them on their way by night in a different direction than she sent the police force. She acted. She did something about the fact that she believed that this was the God of the heavens and the God of the earth. 
We have a couple of graduates of Crown that got married about three years ago. They both uh, graduated. I think he graduated, Sam graduated a couple years before Janelle. And um, Janelle graduated, and on the same day they got married. Um, and then they moved to Colorado Springs. Um, and then in Colorado Springs, he worked as uh, kind of does video productions, and she's a nurse. And once a week, they open up their apartment, which is not, any, it wouldn't be as big as this uh, platform. And they have about 30 people coming to their apartment once a week, and they eat together, and then they discuss anything that the people want to discuss. Philosophy, world problems, uh, politics, uh, religion. They have people from Muslim faith, people who are Buddhist, people who are secularists, Christians, who come and they have this interaction once a week. They're very uh, attractive people and they, um, they I, you know, I think Janelle's smart, I don't know about Sam. I, uh, <laughs> he was smart to marry Janelle, I think, but uh, so I don't know that they're like intellectual 4.0 students or something. You know, they graduate from Crown, they know enough about the Bible, so they, you know, they can have conversations with people, but they just open their house and initiate conversations. That's how they're acting on their faith. And you know, people are coming to Christ in Colorado Springs through that apartment conversation every week. Now, not every week is somebody coming to Christ, but every week these people gather. Now what they're going to do is they're going to leave Colorado Springs and they're gonna to move to Bangladesh. Does anybody know where Bangladesh is? Okay, it's just east of India, right? Very populous country. And what they're gonna do there is they're gonna work with Compassion and Mercy Associates, which is a branch of our church um, and your church uh, that does mercy and compassion and relief and development efforts in places where there's extreme poverty or where there are uh, different kinds of uh, disasters that take place, and that's where they're gonna live next. Now, I'm sure God's gonna have another six or seven things for them down their lives. They're not gonna end up in Bangladesh, but they're following God, and they're expressing their faith, and they're doing something about it. And that's what God has for each of us to do, right? To do something about our faith. Faith that pleases God does something about it. So Rahab, Rahab, did something. Come on. All right, it's on and it's green and it's going, but it's not turning. So can you do it from back there or do I have the only, there we go. What did Rahab do? She hid the spies, protected, lied, and sent them away safely. This is what she did about her faith. Third lesson I find from faith here is that faith that pleases God aligns us with the people of God. It was so cool today as we were singing, right? Uh, there were songs, I mean, I couldn't have put the songs together any better than whoever put them together this week. It was just amazing, right? But to be part of the people of God, what a privilege that is. Do you think it was easy for Rahab to pick sides, to align with the spies? Here's what I think, I don't think it was very easy for her to do that. I think it was something that was foreign to her to do that, to choose to be with them because she had grown up in a culture that didn't uh, embrace uh, that which the spies represented. Presumably, it was the only culture she knew. She had neighbors and friends and 
business associates and customers, and if she was a madame as, as well as a prostitute, she had employees. And all of these people might have been uh, around her uh, in, in kind of suffocating way to not believe in the God of the heavens and the earth, right? She also didn't have any firsthand, I don't think, any firsthand uh, connection with Jewish men or the Jewish society. But don't you think that maybe she had heard that this God might not have approved of the kind of lifestyle she was leading and that people in that culture might not have approved of it? And don't you think that maybe she would have felt that if she adopted that, people, that maybe they would reject her? I don't know if she'd heard that maybe people who did what she did in their culture were stoned to death. I don't know. But it would not have been out of the realm of possibility that she would have thought, if I change cultures, maybe I will experience even more rejection than I experience today. Perhaps they would not welcome her as, they, as she had welcomed the spies. And yet she took this chance and she said, basically, she computed in her mind, if I treat the spies with kindness, if I express my faith in God by protecting them, maybe this God will protect me if I align with their people. This is the bargain she cut with them, right? And she said, I have protected you and I have shown you kindness. Will you make sure that you show me kindness when you come and conquer my city? Which they did. Which they did. What would you have thought if your salvation had come through a prostitute? If that were the person that harbored your spies, would you have, think, would you have thought that maybe they were uh, telling you a tall tale? Would you have discounted their story? Would you have thought, hey, God doesn't do that kind of thing? Would you have befriended her? Would you have taken her in? Would you have welcomed her? Would you have accepted her? You know, I don't know, but I might have had some problems with that. I might have had some questions about that. I might have thought, really? You know, I'm not sure about this. Sounds like a pretty good cover story for something else. I think that's what I might have said. I don't think it was very easy for her to align with the people of God, but she took the risk to do so. And I want you to see what happened because of that. Because faith that pleases God produces a legacy that stretches long into the future. Here's what happened in her life. And this is just, this is the amazing part of the whole story to me. Because Hebrews 11.6 does tell us that God rewards those who sincerely seek him. And he rewarded Rahab with a legacy that went generations into the future. What was this legacy? You know, you and I can't always control our legacies. By definition, I guess a legacy occurs after we've exited. You know, so we get a partial legacy while we're still alive. You can kind of see what it might be, but eventually you die, and then the legacy kind of kicks in, right? By what you leave behind, or by what you've done, or how people remember you, or what they have taken from your life, and, and there's some change and some indication that, you know, maybe you lived, right? What was, her, what was her legacy? 
First of all, her legacy was that her family was saved. Joshua 6.25 tells us this. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. She's always mentioned Rahab the prostitute, right? And her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies that Joshua had sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Her family was saved because they were in her home with her. And God miraculously preserved her even as she had protected the spies. Secondly, she married into a prominent Jewish family. This cracks me up. Can you imagine a Canaanite marrying a Jew? That was not supposed to happen, right? They were supposed to wipe out the people who were not Jewish so that they would stay pure. But here, she gets to marry into a prominent Jewish family. His name was Salmon. Salmon's dad was Nashon. Nashon was a leader of the people of Judah, which was the leading tribe of the people of Israel. So here she's marrying into this leading family of the people of Israel, a Canaanite woman, prostitute, under the judgment of God. That is so cool, what he does for her. I don't know, I wonder if Salmon was one of the two spies. Never are we told that. But I just wonder if he wasn't one of the two spies. But you know what else is even more cool than that? <clears throat> she became an ancestor of Jesus. Here's what I want you to think. We sang about Jesus becoming flesh today, right? The blood of Rahab coursed through his arteries and his veins because she was one of the ancestors of Jesus the Christ. Isn't God full of surprises? What a legacy that this person whom God loved and graced and gave his mercy to and bore, uh, gave birth to uh, faith in and rescued and saved and put in his people, she's one of the people. Out of everybody else of that generation, she's one of the people who became an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Faith that pleases God produces a legacy long into the future. I love God in this passage, in this person. Maybe more than in any other person of Scripture, we see not only what faith is, but we see how God acts and who he is and what his character is like. I wonder what the next step of faith God would have you take. If God could reach this person, if God could love her, if God could extend his grace and mercy to her and transform her and secure for her the love of one man, the dignity among a people of God, and the honor of being an ancestor of Jesus the Messiah, how could he not reach you wherever you are in your relationship with him? How could he not work with you to take the next step in your faith. Some of you might be here today and you think you've gone too far from the healing touch of God or from the grace of God or that somehow you're outside the spectrum of his love or you failed so often on the same thing over and over again and you just wonder, you know, it's not even worth it anymore. I'll show up and I'll put on a nice face and I'll say hi to people, but I just can't, I, I can't take this stuff, really. I don't really think God can love me. 
I'm surely not a candidate for any hall of fame of faith. Well, I want to tell you, this was a woman, not a man. This was an enemy of God, not a friend of God. This was a person who must have been under suspicion for her lifestyle. And God did it for her. And he can do anything that you reach out for him to do for you. If you say yes to him, how is it possible that the God we've looked at today could turn you away? So he asks you to say yes. At some point, at some level, at some junction in your life, he's asking you to say yes to him. He wants to put you in a people where you belong. He promises to honor you if you honor him, to reward you for a faith that would please him, to bless you with a future and a calling and a purpose that is better than what you can do on your own. That's what faith looks like in real practical terms, in a person of faith. And this is what God invites you to experience. I want to talk to you that are single, and I want to talk to you who are maybe under 30. You've got a lot of life ahead of you, and God wants to do something really cool with it. A lot of people mess up their lives by the time they're 30. And maybe you're in that situation today. God can turn around a messed up life. God can transform anything you're into into something that he would want you to get into. He can extricate you from your own pathway that is downward and turn it into a pathway that's upward. Some of you haven't gone to any of those levels yet, but you're just wondering whether the faith thing that your parents do and that you come and do in church, you just wonder if that's really true or if that's really right or if that's really good or if that's going to lead you somewhere positive or if that's really going to turn out well for you. Go back to Rahab's story. And the God who did something in Rahab wants to do something in your life to elevate you beyond what you can even ask or imagine or think your life could be. You don't have to get stuck in life. A faith that pleases God is in a God who rewards those who seek him. If you say yes to God through Jesus Christ, his son, whose ancestor was a prostitute, he can do anything in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. How could we not when we see what you do in people's lives? In history, of course, I don't know, 3,500 years ago, that's a long time ago, but you still do those kinds of things, Lord, in people's lives and turn them around and set them loose to experience life in you that they could never, never, never have predicted on their own. So, even today, I pray that there will be some who are here who might want to just reach out to you and say yes, whatever that step is that you ask them to take. After the service, there are going to be some people up here to pray if you want to come. I would invite you to come down and, and just have prayer. What is that next step? Um, the people you pray with aren't going to make that next step for you, but they are going to direct you to a God who grows faith out of his love and grace and mercy. Lord, we ask that you'll do that in our lives 
wherever we are, whatever we're facing, whatever doubts we have, uh, whatever aspirations we have, for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Well, thank you for letting us be with you today. Uh, Kathy and I will be out at the table in the back if you want to talk about Crown College or anything else. Uh, We'd be happy to have that time to talk with you. May God bless you today and give you uh, his strength and power to take the next step in your faith.